0: This is FYI, a series of podcasts featuring the biggest challenges in marketing and advertising telling their stories. These are honest and open conversations and will break down the barriers as to the who, the why, the what and the how of best-in-class marketeers from a variety of different sectors. Each week we'll be profiling a different person, learning about their journey and having a bit of fun along the way. This week's podcast guest is Adam White, founder and CEO at Edge. A tech company automating contractual obligations and payments in professional esports. Adam has a wealth of experience in gaming, sports, and esports. He started his career as a sports lawyer, working on high profile cases across Europe, before following his passion for esports and identifying an opportunity to connect gamers, teams, leagues, and brands using technology. We talked to Adam about the journey to Starting Edge, the successes and failures along the way and the future following recently securing £1.5 million worth of funding. My name is Chris Gunn, co-founder and managing director of Love Gun, and this is FYI with Adam White. Hi Adam, how's it going?
1: Really well, Chris. Thank you very much for having me on today.
0: No worries. Thanks for coming on. So, each of the podcasts, we do a bit of a quick fire questions to start off. Just a bit of fun, nothing too serious, okay? So... Cool. Where is your favorite destination in the world at the moment, considering you've recently moved?
1: Uh, Shenzhen, China.
0: Oh, okay. You haven't gone with Lisbon. How come?
1: Um, it's a fascinating place because in the 70s, it was a fishing town of less than 100,000 people, I, I believe. It, I Don't quote me on the figures. And now there's more than 20 million people that live there. They have... They've, imagine building a city from scratch now knowing what we know about the world and the way it operates and that is what i believe shenzhen is so it's all of the cabs and all the public
2: transportation are green mm. massive technology
1: investment 10 center headquartered there bike dance who own tiktok are there as well
0: wow okay nice yeah. all right i'll add that to the destination list um would you rather be able to time travel or be invisible
1: time travel definitely
0: <laughs> nice good choice and um, favorite social media platform
1: LinkedIn
0: okay nice any reason just you love a bit of business comms.
1: yes and I don't have to look at photos of cats doing weird things all day <laughs> although some, some LinkedIn content creators are, are a bit bizarre but genuinely um, I've really fallen in love with LinkedIn during COVID because I've seen a multitude of business practitioners and leaders that I really admire mm. being a lot more human than yeah. I ever were pre-COVID. Yeah, and I actually think that that's permeated the business culture worldwide. You know, Zoom calls. Funnily enough, Zoom calls have become really personal.
0: Yeah. Experiences. Yeah, no, nice. I agree. Um, what would you rather have, jelly legs or sausage fingers?
1: <laughs> uh, jelly legs, because I'm vegan, so I don't want to have
0: sausage fingers. <laughs> yeah, fair. You could have had. You could have a vegan sausage.
1: Vegan sausage fingers or jelly legs? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'll still go with the jelly legs. I'll
0: okay, yeah. Them. Could be good fun, I suppose. Yeah. Um, what would be your last meal?
1: Ooh, that's so easy. <laughs> fried potatoes with onions and garlic and salt with a tomato fried sauce. So-, so you actually let the tomatoes that are full reduce down and become that sort of lovely. Like a tomato sauce on top of the potatoes. I'm Irish. So I love I love spuds. So.
0: Nice. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. Um, and then finally, any podcasts that you recommend that you've listened to, or you know, apart been, from your one, apart from this one, exactly. <laughs>
1: uh, goodness. I'm not so such a huge podcast person, if I'm honest. Um, you know, usually I put in like an audio book. So, can I do an audio book? Can I? Say of course.
0: Audiobooks? Yeah. Absolutely.
1: I think everyone should read the book Humankind. I think that it talks about how kindness and empathy equates to intelligence Mm -hmm. and how we've evolved to be kind and compassionate creatures rather than the, uh, I believe, the sort of constructed paradigm that we somehow dislike and and misunderstand each other. I don't think that's as true as people believe. So yeah, Humankind is a good one.
0: Okay, interesting. I'll check it out. Nice one. So uh, that was a quick fires. Um, So Adam, yeah, thanks again for coming on. I was excited to get you on. Obviously, it's an exciting time for you at the moment, Uh, recently getting investment into your business and the growth um, that's kind of going on there. Um, But I'm keen to, I suppose, profile your journey and um, talk about, I suppose... First off how you came from being a sports lawyer originally to then mm-hmm. becoming you know a, a bit of a an esports uh, esports uh, celebrity would you say who knows <laughs> no, and, <laughs> that's, that's the that's wrong so name weird. that's the wrong name but you know in e- terms of
1: I'm in an the an esports evangelist
0: yeah. esports evangelist okay so starting off as sports lawyer how did that all come about and then how did you kind of transition into into the esports space
1: right on well yeah i guess like Maybe ten years ago. So I'm 34 now. Uh, ten years ago, I was just out of uni. I wasn't, I didn't, wasn't great in any law during my uh, university degree, apart from sports law, because I was a mad Arsenal fan as well as uh, previously tried to be a, a baseball player, and basketball player, and all this stuff. I had a great experience at a at a place called the Instituto Superior de Derecho y Economía, which is the University of Law and Economics, essentially, in in Madrid, and that acted as a wonderful springboard to create this uh, sports law career out of Spain. Now, if I had qualified in the UK, I would have had to do training contracts, and, you know, as as a newly qualified solicitor, you're not going to get the the, the level of responsibility that that I did at this boutique sports law firm based in Valencia. So I had the fortune of working on big player transfers, Sergio Aguero to Manchester City, uh, big cases like the Al Masri case, where seventy-four people died in, the, in, the, in an Egyptian football stadium, if you remember, in two thousand and eleven. Oh, wow. And then finally, finally, I guess another big case was uh, representing one of Lance Armstrong's doctors um, after the whole doping saga. Um, oh, wow. And I suppose actually that was that those two cases, the Egyptian one and the doping one with Lance, and and then probably a third one, which was a racism dispute involving Mario Bellatelli. They made me aware and awake that the type of person I was litigating sports law disputes whilst being incredibly interesting and intellectually stimulating wasn't going to make my soul sing because I was having to litigate on issues that I wasn't passionate about and I didn't want to be passionate about, if that makes sense. Mm. And, And so I guess... That, coupled with an inherent curiosity about being young and living in London as a single guy, (laughs) I said, okay, let's go, In 2013 moved to London, and 2015, during a master's degree in business, I was playing far too much Hearthstone. I played about 30,000 games of Hearthstone over the course of two years, and started competing in tournaments, Mm. and I met some professional gamers, and that's how I discovered esports. I'd always been a gamer my whole life. I played Mario Kart and Zelda and Halo, and FIFA, and University. Yeah. But I didn't know what this eSports thing was, and the the light switch moment happened when I saw Twitch, and I thought, you know what? When I was a kid, if I could have watched other people play Mario and show me how to beat levels more quickly, Mm. I would have followed that. And even more so, if there was a competitive format, Mm. I would have been a massive fan of Fnatic or Ninjas in Pajamas or whoever. Yeah. So... Yeah, that was kind of it. I was like, I can watch other people play video games. Oh, this is going to be huge.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, me- I remember um, with- in the old Nintendo 64 days with the Zel- Zelda on the Ocarina of Time, we used to have a, a book that-, that basically taught you through the levels because it was just so difficult.
1: Was it Nintendo Power? Did you have Nintendo Power?
0: No, no Nintendo 64.
1: Well, so one of the great things that Nintendo did to help Become a successful American company okay. was after they released the. I think it's the Super Nintendo. They started making a magazine called Nintendo Power, which oh, would basically okay. tell You remember this? Tell of <laughs> like where the secrets were, how to beat levels, mm. and then they created this whole thing called like a Nintendo call center. I've spent hundreds of dollars there. Wow! You call up someone and you say, "How do I find the you know the boomerang, the giant boomerang in Zelda?" Ocarina? That and they'll is tell incredible. You
0: yeah. wow so yeah no it was this it was a printed book i think we you know we spent a good 10 on it and we used to sh- share it with my friends and we used to you know exchange it so you know fast forward literally 15 20 years um youtube tutorials were were the way forward when i uh, refound my m64 a few years ago um, mm-hmm. but no that's interesting so in terms of so where where was the journey from Actually, you know, playing video games, sounding like, you know, you're playing quite a few hours, having fun with yeah. it, to, to thinking, right, actually, this can be a career, this can be a journey for me.
1: I guess, um, so I should, both of my older brothers have played Magic and earned money from playing Magic the Gathering. So they actually introduced me to Hearthstone. I was a big uh, Warcraft three-player Starcraft. Starcraft was really the big title. And they said, hey, we've got, you know, the World of Warcraft universe. Well, there's a trading card game. You should try it. And I got, I got absolutely hooked. I think it was November 2015 or something. And I played like, oh, God, I don't know how much time I spent. I then heard about a tournament in Toronto. Okay. And I said, you know what, I fancy that. And yeah. I went down and I, I won or I finished second, I can't remember. And it was a small cash prize. And I realized, Jesus, like if this... If this is just this tiny card game and it's like $300 for 30 entrants, what happens if there's 30,000 entrants or 3 million or 30 million? And then I did a few a bit of googling and the Dota 2 International $30 million prize pool, you know, Fortnite World Cup now has a $100 million prize pool. All this all this sort of um,
2: these sort of pockets of money became apparent and I said, "Well, how do I go get those?" I guess I tried very, very temporarily to do
1: so myself. And yeah, I met a kid called George C, or a young man called George C. Now George Connolly, who was at the time the UK's number one Hearthstone player. And I met, I met and befriended his father as well. And um, I said, look, your son is way better than me. I'm never going to be a pro. So why don't I, why don't I represent your son? And he was about to sign for a professional team called Misfits, and. They said, sure. Like, why don't you? You know. So I did some pro bono contract reviews, and I discovered a lot of things that uh, were not palatable. Mm-hmm. Um, so was
0: thought, was that taking experience from being a lawyer? Then you understand? Uh,
1: absolutely. <laughs> right. I, I I looked at I looked at uh, esports, and I saw a huge industry that was growing really quickly and couldn't regulate itself. Because what? Ha, why? Like, if I've started an esports organization and I'm a former professional gamer. And I've just received investment. Then I have the capital and the incentive to hire a law firm, put in proper operational processes and make sure that my business is operating like any other business operates. Whereas I think one of the issues, and this isn't to speak disparagingly about my colleagues in the industry, is just you are a former gamer, you understand Twitch and YouTube and Riot and Epic Games and
2: Discord more than anyone, yeah. and you don't know what a contract is. Mm-hmm. So okay. I tried to help there initially as an individual. Um, I,
1: re- I ran out of hours in the day and so decided maybe we can build a product to solve this esports industry issue of getting players paid on time. And I think probably after about a year of that, realized you know, this is way bigger than esports. This is, and it's not, it's nothing to do with like malpractice and bad actors. It's just, we are applying solutions developed in the nineties or even b- before to products and platforms that are less than 20 years old, mm. right? So we're doing email invoicing, paper contracts, manual data collection, human beings are doing the jobs of computers because we haven't built the tools to satiate the appetite for a nascent industry to improve its processes but well now we have because we've cut edge but yeah
0: so so that is that is why and how edge was created so what is what's been the journey since starting edge because i know it's been a few, it's been a while now right a couple of years
1: yeah so much like any entrepreneur i had like a lot of ideas and a lot of passion and i had a pitch deck a really crappy pitch deck and um i had this idea and i guess it was august 2017 I I'd I'd, I'd had a previous startup, I'd, I'd left that startup um, in, in, in April 2017, and in August 2017, I, I said, you know, I've got this idea of how we can use smart contracts to effectively create a flow of, of validating a data point. So, did a gamer win a tournament? Did they complete uh, an, an agreed amount of streamable hours? or did they post something to Instagram? And if those criteria were satiated or satisfied, then the smart contract would validate that instance and make a payment. That was like the very basic technological under underpinning of what Edge was. And then on top of that, the front front end or the skinning of it was, if you're a tournament organizer or a team, you can use Edge to create all of your legal regulations and pay all of your talent. You can sign con- uh, casters and content creators and influencers and professional gamers using Edge and you'll save a lot of those startup costs. Um, that was kind of the initial journey. That, that was the initial idea and the initial journey, of course, was as often as fundraising. And so I met with a few um, few
2: VCs and probably had the, <laughs> had the fortune slash misfortune of the first two that I met made offers. Okay. We
1: went with the second one. Yeah. And... I actually quit my job at the GOAT agency in April 2018, so I I had a great time at the GOAT agency, I really liked working with those guys, I had a fantastic job, but I couldn't turn down the opportunity to start my own company, and I had this wicked offer to work with this VC. Now, unfortunately, this VC signed all the term sheets, they let me quit my job, they let me hire employees and uh, a co-working space, and then the VC pulled. The investment. Wow. Uh, so I was. I had to sleep on my friend's couch. Uh, the VC is called Venrex. Actually, I'm really happy to say that. Like, I, I would warn any entrepreneur off Venrex. I don't think that they're a VC to be worked with.
2: Um, okay. So you know that, and and that's because I don't want people that have that. Same yeah,
0: experience. yeah, yeah. That's fair enough. But yeah. I, mm.
1: I, I if I didn't have a friend to sleep on his couch, what would I have done? Mm. So and those are the those are the war stories that entrepreneurs never speak of because they're too busy (laughs) you know moving on to the next chapter but yeah so started it with no capital Mm -hmm. and then just hustled for about a year you know doing consultancy doing uh, you know uh, advice for players and gamers and brands looking to get into the space but we still had the same idea and so we were still on the fundraise just albeit you know now now not with the security of a salary from GOAT, I was having to hustle and pay my rent and pay my way. But uh, I wouldn't have done it another way because now the people we have on our cap table are amazing. Mm-hmm. Our investors are awesome. We're so lucky to have them.
0: So how, how did you come across the, uh, the the new investors? How did that relationship start and what make, what makes them so amazing?
1: So yeah, I guess we got our, I got burned, right? And I learned that nothing's done until the money's in the bank. Mm-hmm. And so then I learned quickly that whilst pitching to VCs is great and, and, and family offices, when you don't have any traction and any validation, it's very difficult to raise half a million or a million or whatever you need as seed capital to get, you know, your proof of concept launched. So I ha- I met two angels, one of which I went to high school with and they agreed to give us 25 K and we took that money and we built a proof of concept. We had maybe 30 teams using the platform.
2: Um and off the back of that we were able to raise another 85k. So 25 from those two initial uh, angels who I you know I'm still very thankful for. We wouldn't be here without them. Mm-hmm. Um and then another two
1: angels, uh Adrian and Dan, who what one had a digital marketing background so understood where Edge was headed in terms of data-driven payments, and the other one was a games industry veteran. Yeah. How do you meet VCs? Um in terms of this round, how we met them? Yeah, we exactly. Really well- yeah, yeah, yeah. January 2020, we got accepted into a program called Stadia Ventures. Yeah. And they were absolutely crucial in introducing us to partners that they'd worked with previously. And we got approached by a family office, uh, Zulu Assets, who have a minority ownership in the Texas Rangers.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the process was really, really easy, really smooth. The The, the partner who now sits on our board. Got the vision, understood the team and the market, and was quick on the documents. And I think that's really exciting for an entrepreneur. When, when you've got an investor who the, the right investors are like rocket fuel in your business, yeah. they don't waste time on things which are detracting from the value of the business, like documentation to get the fundraise. They just go, yeah, let's go inject the cash. We need to start growing the business more quickly. Um, so yeah, we were lucky with that, and that and that's what we've
0: been doing since we raised. Just going fast. Nice, exciting times. So now um, now you've you've secured that investment. Obviously, it's in the it's in the public realm. You're growing. Um, what what now? What is what is the plan? What's what does the next twelve months look like in terms of team, in terms of the product, and in terms of the future of where you're going?
1: sure man so, yeah, like we, we closed the round at the end of October. And one of our big goal, our first gates was to hire some, some great people. So we've hired uh, some engineers um, and some marketers, um, and we're about to make our first hire into Asia. And so, you know, in terms of our medium-term goals, 2021, we want Edge in Asia. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, about 12 proof-of-concept customers that are using the platform now, testing, validating it. We would say Edge is <clears throat> Edge December two thousand twenty. Edge is still an alpha. Um, proper rebrand next year. Proper launch. Um, but yeah, it's sort of short term targets are grow the team, delight all of the customers we have right now, and then medium term get into Asia, and of course long term we're seeking ubiquity. We want to be a paradigm shifting technology.
0: So why why Asia? Why is why is that a priority for you guys?
1: The reasons are two uh, well, threefold actually. So, um, we've heard that the brands that work with influencers and content creators, and of course, edge works with four brands that work with influencers and content creators. They report more on data and metrics in Asia than they do. So in Europe, they're a little bit more scientific and data driven mathematical than, than here. The second reason is the money is there. So, um, the amount of gamers, content creators, brand spend in Asia, it absolutely blows us out of the water right now, and it's only going to increase, and that's the third thing, is that in a post-COVID paradigm, like we would have gone to the US, that was first on our plan, and now with the uncertainty there, we're, we're thinking, well, maybe we leapfrog the US, we come back there later, and we, we go to Asia.
0: yeah Yeah. okay makes sense so amazing story and super interesting obviously you know developing a a product that's kind of led by technology in terms of actually you know gathering that dream team that you're talking about is it imperative for you to be hiring you know within esports or is it you know it's pulling people from various sectors what are the benefits of doing both
1: yeah so i think one thing i really want to say is we have three rules at edge they are Number one, team first, mm-hmm. number two, learn fast, and number three, stay edgy. And so team is really a big part of my job as the CEO. I'm not a technical person, so I, I, don't, I don't know how to build the platform at all. I don't even know what the guys are working on, but I believe that they're doing a fantastic job. Finding the dream team is the most difficult thing, and it is, it is the thing that makes or breaks your business. doesn't matter how great the market is, how good your product is. If you don't have a team to deliver and build it, it's going to all fall over. So I was lucky to meet um, two individuals who are my co-founders at Edge. One is David Yarnton, who was at Nintendo for 20 years and has a a fantastic reputation in the games and esports industry. The other one is uh, slightly younger. (laughs) Uh, He he was 15 when he joined Edge. He's now 17. He's been written about by Forbes magazine as the future of computer science. Uh, His name is Scott Hyatt, and uh, he leads the engineering team. He's... know he's like a brother to me now we're we're very very close at edge it's like a family Mm -hmm. Uh, we do tuesday night pub quizzes and we play games together to your question of how do you then so we had a good solid foundation of david and scott especially Mm -hmm. how do you build on top of that and we recruit on attitude and aptitude and culture is so important to us every single company says that but at Edge, these people game together, they laugh together, they play together, they care about each other, and they hold each other accountable because it's not cool not to do your homework. Yeah. Especially if it impacts your buddy who's been up all night doing his, and now all of a sudden our customers are disappointed because Edge hasn't delivered as they promised. So we don't have that. We, we've got everyone who's focused, laser sharp, and hitting really quick deadlines, which is great. Nice. The final bit I wanted to say, Chris, was... We're not an esports company. So Edge was forged out of the flames of esports. We saw an industry issue that exists in that vertical, but we're we're much wider than that. Anyone that wants to use data, automatically track it, and then make automatic payments can do so with Edge. So
2: it's it's a it's a paradigm shifting technology. We refer, we refer to it as business automation software. Okay. It's not it's not DocuSign for esports.
0: Yeah. Okay, makes sense. So going back to Scott, because obviously it's, it's super fascinating. I know a lot of people listening will be thinking, um, you know, working with a 15-year-old who's now obviously 17. So how, how did you come across Scott and how, you know, um, obviously there are, I'm sure there's not many 15 or 17-year-olds out there um, with that business acumen or uh, technolog- technological edge that you mentioned. So, um, yeah, how did it all come about and what, what's his role?
2: Yeah, so
1: um, I'm really thankful to the Digital Schoolhouse, uh, who are a government run program in association with Yuki, who are the trade body for the, the games industry here? Uh, they, through that um, event, I met my two business partners. I was shout casting uh, an Overwatch tournament, and David said, Oh, you're not bad at
2: that, mate. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, you know <laughs> that that. good uh, impression. That, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's Australian, obviously. <laughs> uh, well, I, but maybe people can't tell. It was a terrible accident.
1: <laughs> And David, I said, Well, funny, Dave, I've been looking to meet you for about six months. I got an idea called Edge, and I think you're the perfect person to help me get this lift off. Fast forward a year, David is now full time at Edge, having left Gfinity as a director. Mm-hmm. And we meet this young guy called Scott, who's my co-commentator on this Overwatch tournament. Yeah. Gott is not just a good developer, he's he's brilliant at a lot of things, and commentary is one of them. So he wins the best caster. And with that, we give an Edge internship. And so he goes from intern to junior engineer to senior platform engineer. And if at Edge you're you're good enough, you're old enough. Yeah. And so I became really close with Scott's family. You know, I'm really close with his mom, particularly. I met met his dad last year. And so when you have that level of trust uh, in, in someone, the, the, the age didn't matter the lack of qualifications didn't matter because Scott is the most brilliant developer that I know yeah and more than that he is a leader he is so mature beyond his years the team are bought into his vision he puts the team first every single time it's not about Scott Hyatt it's about edge it's about the family that he's created and yeah I can't I can't say enough positive things about the guy um, we've got a really really lucky.
0: Uh, Interesting. Competition here. Yeah. Sounds like the dream team. Um, yeah, no, it's super interesting. So looking back, um, we'll, we'll look back and then we'll look forward again. So looking back over your journey from, you know, sports lawyer and obviously, you know, a lot happened before that. And during that time that we kind of skimmed through what have been, what have been the biggest learnings for you? Obviously, you know, the failed investment um, was one thing, but um, you know, what, what, what would be your key kind of takeaways or, or learnings through that period that could be advice for someone else?
1: Yeah, so it's in, you mentioned investment there, and there was I was speaking on a panel last week. Somebody asked me, like, how did you raise money? And so how did you raise money during COVID? That's what they said, because they said that investors were taking meetings and they were never going to deploy capital. And so I guess for that investment bit, if you're a young entrepreneur or, or an old entrepreneur looking for money, I would go in there, I would line up all of your first meetings for the first two weeks. I would line up all of your second meetings for the next two weeks, and I'd line up all of your third meetings for the weeks after, and you say and you make a decision at the end of that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The reason I do that is twofold. One, investment is really about creating that fear of missing out. You know, this is your last chance to invest in my business. If you don't do it right now, you're gonna miss it. Yeah. And then you'll be kicking yourself in ten years' time when we're a unicorn. The second thing is that it helps you validate your assumptions and your process. So like I I didn't do that approach, I just met investor here, investor there, investor there. My pitch was different every single time, my pitch documents were shifting, the team was shifting. That lack of a consistent message doesn't give the investor confidence that you have a plan that you're going to stick to.
2: Yeah. The, so I, I would definitely do that, add some structure and process about your investor and don't be afraid to ask them very upfront. Do you have capital to deploy in the next six months? Because if they don't, you you should use your time elsewhere. Yeah. And um, and then the, the second thing is I would really trust your instincts, to stick to your guns. If you have something that's flashing off in the back of your mind, you think
1: that person's not doing their work, I don't trust them, act on it. You know, fire fast, hire slow mm-hmm. because in all likelihood you know what's going on in your business. And if, if you don't, that should be a also a signal to you that something's going on so
2: yeah like a bit more rigidity and process around investment and trusting your instincts yeah
0: no good advice so then let's look forward so what is what's the dream you know you've talked about how um you know what the what the next 12 months or etc look like for edge but what is the what's the eventual dream where do you want it sit where do you want to see edge in five years do you want to have taken over the world you know what's what's going on
1: yeah so um i i <laughs> Just did a, a similar interview to this earlier today, and the same answer. We are not doing this in half measures. We're going big. We want to be a household name. We want people to really... My goal is that people go. How did they do it before? How like why did they use a paper contract and then get a human being to validate if the person did the post, and then get a human being to communicate to the influencer to send an invoice, and then get a human being to report on the campaign back to the brand and get a human being to make a payment. Like, that's crazy. Why didn't they just do it with Edge? That's the goal in terms of that ubiquity and household name. That's more on Scott's side of the business, on my side of the business, I want Edge to be the best company to work for. I want it to be a life-changing experience that you've come to Edge. Recently, we had a guy, Zahi, who got his UK visa, so he's just come from Lebanon and his dream was to work in the UK. And so I want to make that happen. If somebody's dream is to learn how to play guitar, let's make that happen at EDGE. Um, I really believe post-COVID that the difference between work and life has become even more blurred. I don't want that to be a
2: negative thing. I want it to be a positive thing
1: that people come to work because they want to, because they love their colleagues, because they adore their job. And I think we've got a good foundation, but I really want to keep building on this of making EDGE the most human company it can be.
0: Amazing. Yeah, great outlook, and you know, improving others' lives too. Obviously, huge in terms of building a business. I think there's a lot of selfishness a lot of the time. But actually, it's thinking about the team that you're creating and the people amongst it. Um, and really? while whilst you're answering there, my uh, my neighbour decided to whip out a chainsaw. So I'm I'm hoping that that sound doesn't deafen the podcast. Fingers crossed. But um, I,
1: I hope for your safety as well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I hope they're not. He's not wearing a hockey mask, you know. Um. So uh, yeah, I mean that that I you know nicely concludes um i suppose the journey and um, i feel like we could talk about you know the, the future and what you know where where things are going to go for you guys for you know all day but um yeah super interesting journey i think you know uh anyone listening will definitely be keeping tabs to see how you guys grow in the future so um yeah thanks for that openness and honesty i think some great advice in there um and with any of these um podcasts we like to finish with you know let's let's pass the pod is there anyone out there that you recommend you know that we Go after to try and get this pod in the future that will give some great insight or talk us through their journey.
1: past the pod is a really nice, uh, you should. That's it. I see why you guys work in branding, it's beautiful. <laughs> um, yeah, I know exactly who you got to talk to. His name is Oliver Weingarten, He's okay, the CEO of London United. London United is a grassroots gaming organization, it's a social gaming initiative. Get off the streets, get educated. Learn how to play Rocket League and Fortnite with your heroes. Learn about
2: nutrition and wellness. Um, Oliver's done some really good work with the Mayor of London and the Rio Ferdinand Foundation recently and just did a partnership with Yaw. So, uh, really inspiring guy. Like, he used to
1: be at the Premier League in F1, a, a incredible CV. But what he's up to now is, is super cool because he's using gaming for good. It's not like traditional esports, it's more like about the community.
0: Okay, interesting. I've actually spoken to Oliver before, so he is going to get a uh, direct message very soon and we'll get him on. Adam, thanks so much for your time, mate. Take care and we'll speak soon.
1: Thanks, Chris. I really enjoyed that.
0: Cheers, man. You've been listening to FYI, the podcast featuring the biggest challenges in business and marketing. FYI was brought to you by Lovegun, an award-winning branding and design agency based in London. Subscribe, follow and share on Apple Podcasts or Spotify for plenty more where
2: this came from.